on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hacker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We give you some of our thoughts heading into OUK State, and Mike Golick Jr. joins us to preview the game. We preview some of the best games of week four in college football, and we give you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, September 21st, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of September, visit Riverwind.com. If you're coming to the game, go gamble at Riverwind before or after the game. They're open late, people. Do it. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Wednesday around lunchtime, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. Big one on Saturday night, Ted. Big one. Unfortunately, Kansas State ruined the buzz for this game by losing. Yeah, I know it. That's um, I can't believe they lost to Tulane, but watching that game, Tulane's defense looked fantastic, but uh, was still a, a massive shock that the game unfolded the way that it did. Yes, I was hoping we were going to have a top 25 Kansas State undefeated coming in for a night game, but I forget the Tulane game. We know exactly what we're going to get from K-State, and I think uh, I think there's enough guys on this team that have played this, this, this squad before to know exactly what's coming their way. Yeah, there, there's enough guys on this team that have lost to Kansas State in Norman. Yep. So, it, I mean, it is what it is. Now, we always like to focus on the game, right, during the season. We want to focus on the game. We will talk about the whole Bedlam thing in winners and losers. So we're not going to ignore that, but this time of the year, it's about what's happening on the field. We're, we're living in the present. Ted, we're not looking, we're not looking towards the future. We're living in the present. So let, let's focus on, on what to watch for on Saturday night. And I'm just, man, I'm still mad that K-State ruined the buzz of this game, but it's still a big time conference game. First conference matchup end zones are going to be painted red, which is always fun. But for the defense, Ted, when you look at 
the matchup between OU's defense and Kansas State's offense. What are you watching for? What challenges does K-State offer? It's all running game. This is a running offense. Everything that they have is is built off the run. Um, it's also built off the threat of quarterback run, which, you know, every single scheme that they have, every run that they have, has a quarterback option available off of that. So that's always going to make life pretty difficult for the defense. Um, you got to win up front. You got to win with the defensive line. And I feel pretty comfortable with that right now. I think of all the good things going on defensively, I think the defensive line right now is, is really leading the charge and you're getting some really good play out of a bunch of different guys. Now, I think the, the real stress is going to be put on the inside backer backers and the support safeties in the run game. You're going to get all kinds of traditional plays. You're going to get, and, and most of it is done, um, you know, sometimes 11, but a lot of times 12 personnel with uh, with an H in the backfield. You're going to get stretched. It's just like a two-back stretch. They're going to take outside zone and, and lead it with the H back. You're going to get split zone. We see that a bunch. Uh, the split action from the backfield, blocking zone with the offensive line trying to create an extra gap with the H-back coming back against the grain. Uh, you're going to get speed option out of one-back stuff with the quarterback just pressing the edge, um, tackles up to the next level, lead the end guy on the line of scrimmage go, quarterback runs option off of him. It's just it's coming right at you really fast right off the snap. You're going to get counter. You're going to get power. Some of the gap scheme stuff that that you see from – it's just it's a traditional run game done with a little bit of a, of a new age spin on it. Obviously it's all out of shotgun and, and pistol and stuff like that, but you just got to win the line of scrimmage and the backers and insert safeties have to fit the run game perfectly. You, you got to fit it well, especially when 22 has got the football. Absolutely. We have talked about the importance of gap integrity and, you know, when guys are coming to make plays and when they're coming to make tackles, you're talking about how you leverage as a tackler. You know, if you're going to miss, where do you miss so that you force them to all your buddies? Both of those things, gap integrity and leveraging tackles. There's not a more important week to do it than the week you play against Deuce Vaughn. The yep. guy that the offense is limited, right? Because, you know, and we can talk about Adrian Martinez and the way he looks throwing the ball right now, but that doesn't change the fact the limitations of their offense does not change the fact that Deuce Vaughn is one of the best players in college football. He's yep. electric, man. And it's going to be, going to be a challenge to get that guy on the ground. Yeah. And they feature him with a lot of stuff. Obviously um, they'll go empty a lot. And, you know, just run routes with him, little option routes, get open routes. Um, he'll run out, he'll get out there and run a slant. He'll run quick little stop route and they'll just give him the ball with, with teams playing off coverage on him and let him use his open field skills. Uh, the passing game is for the most part, really basic, you know, they'll spread you out and go all stops, all five guys just run about a five yard stop route. He finds the matchup he likes. It's an easy throw and catch. They'll go empty, and they'll run all slants. All five guys run slants, pre-snap. He finds the matchup that he likes, locks onto it, and that's where the football's going. So there's a lot of 
spread you out with predetermined throws to make things easy in the passing game for Adrian Martinez. They are not good in the third and long passing game where they got to run intermediate or deeper routes that require protection and time and uh, and space for that combination to come open and where you've got to make a decision quarterback wise do you know once you progress to downfield routes there's always a over the top option and the underneath option right flat and curl three level and the quarterback has to make the decision of where to go with the football are they sitting back good and I just throw it underneath or do I have a window to take the deep option that's where Adrian Martinez struggles and that's why stopping the run is so critical is because you have to put him in those spots. He, and this is my version of being nice. He looks about as uncomfortable as I've ever seen a quarterback look throwing the football right now. That two-lane game, he looked, he, he just looked like his confidence was totally gone, was, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. It was it was shocking to watch on tape. And also, there's a couple of plays in that game. Malik Knowles, number four, who I think is their best wide receiver, that dude can absolutely run now. Like, he, he can go. There are a couple of plays in that game. He is running wide open. He is blowing by Tulane's secondary. And Adrian Martinez doesn't even look at him. And you could see there's a couple of plays where Malik Knowles is so open and he knows he's not going to get it. And he just kind of slumps his shoulders and he just looks depressed. He's just like, Oh my God. Like, I don't know because the whole thing coming in the year with Adrian Martinez was, Hey, he can't turn it over. He can't turn it over. You know, if he doesn't turn it over, K state's going to be good. He he's not taking any risk at all with the football, which is which is not how you want your quarterback to be. Like, yes, you want him to make smart decisions, but at some point, yeah, but at some point, man, you got to give your chance, you got to give your guys a chance to go make a play. And there's none of that right now for Kansas State's offense. And I mean none of it. It's it's crazy to watch. (laughs) Like it's it's unbelievable how uncomfortable he looks. Where's Tommy Reese when we need him? He's wide blanking open. Do your job. The team's depending on you. (laughs) He just looks, he, he looks like he's playing scared of making a mistake. Yeah. And that is, that's really limited in what they can do offensively. I I will say along the offensive line, I do think they're not as powerful at the point of attack as we're used to seeing from a Kansas state offensive line. They are a little more mobile though. I think along the offensive line, they're a little more athletic. And you mentioned some of the stretch stuff, some of the pin pull stuff where they're getting out and running. I think that's because they understand maybe they don't have, you know, the power and the ability to strain that they're used to, especially in the interior of that O-line. But they do move a little better than we're used to seeing from a K-State O-line. Yeah, their center looks pretty good on some of the wipe stuff or down, down and around, whatever you want to call it. And gets out there in space and you like to create those, you know, it it usually gives you a couple of different cut windows for your running back on who to follow on the the front side blocking. And that's where those fits are critical that I was talking about Uh, inside backers getting over the top, getting over there and being on the right side of those edge guys 
because the safety's coming from depth have to rely on you to be on the right spot or you're going to get gashed. Yeah. Okay. You got anything else about their defense? Um, I, or anything with, else about their offense? Sorry. We, we just need to do what we've done, which is win the line of scrimmage, create negative yardage plays, and then win on third and long where, where we can pressure, we can sit drop eight, we can let our, our defensive uh, linemen go in some pass rush schemes. I mean, that's the formula is going to be the same. Yeah. All right. Looking at OU's offense and Kansas State's defense, K-State, they run the 3-3-5. They run Iowa State's defense. Three safety look. And you know, I think the first thing to watch for, where's 91? Felix and Yudike Uzama, he's one of the best players in the Big 12 Conference. Where's he going to line up, right? Because this is a guy where he maybe doesn't have first-round twitch as a pass rusher, but he's got first-round power. You, you can just see it on tape. Uh, I mean, he can shock and shed with the best of them. So where is he going to line up? If, if it was up to NFL scouts and general managers, he'd line up over Anton Harrison every play, right? And we watch those guys, yeah. those two guys go at it all game long. I th- we're going to get a lot of that because he predominantly has played over the opponent's left tackle. But Ted, if I were K State, I'd put him over OU's right tackle all game long. Yeah, you said that's that's been Guyton's weakness, right? Is well, not only got like I mean, if you got a guy, you know, Anton Harrison who played his best game of his career and looked fantastic against Nebraska. You got a guy like Felix and Udike Uzama, put him over the right tackle and see if Wanya Morris or Tyler Guyton, whoever ends up, I think they'll both play, but make those guys prove they can handle him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's I've... not, and if you go to, you go to 91, you say, Hey, I'm, I'm not, we're not having you run from the matchup with Harrison. We just think you can be really productive over the right tackle. I, I'm just interested to see where they line them up predominantly. Yeah, at least on passing downs, because, you know, I, I can also see the flip side of that is if we put our weaker guy over on Harrison, Levy is going to do everything he can to exploit that in the running game and, and try and go after that side with, you know, where you've got your best lineman blocking um, a weaker guy. And it's not like he's going to be bad, but no, I, I think that is definitely something to watch for and. I'd be interested to see if we we put a tight end over there, maybe offset or however, quite a bit in the passing game to try and offer a little bit more protection with the little chip block. Yeah. Uh, 91 is definitely the best player in their defense. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Now, Daniel Green, the inside backer, 22, he is he's a physical specimen. There, there's no doubt. He is a big physical guy in the inside there. As far as pressure that they bring, not much, right? I mean, they really like the crossfire with the two inside backers. But other than that, maybe you'll get some two outside stuff, you know, coming from that nickel slash sand, like that cheetah position, right? But there's really, they they kind of just play you straight up. Mm-hmm. And... I do think on the opposite side, and this guy got, he got banged up in the two lane game. So we'll see what his status is, but the other defensive end, Nate Matlack, 
I'd run it right at that guy. I mean, if your choices are running at 91 or running at 97, I'm running it at 97 all game long. Yeah. So I, I'm interested to see if Levy and Beatenbow attack him because he certainly does not hold up against double teams as well as 91 does in, in the run game. And usually when you see a weak point like that, you, you exploit it. In the passing game, do you remember Khalid Duke? He was like an edge rusher for him a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yep. He's, he's playing that like nickel Sam spot for them in the three, three, five. I mean, he's just yeah. big, like 240 pound guy out there in space. And while he's physical, he does a lot of things. Well, he can come up and play the run. They get into some four man front stuff and he just plays an edge spot for him. I don't know why you wouldn't just isolate that guy and pick on him in some of that zone coverage stuff and make him cover. Like if I'm seeing, I can't imagine that Levy's not seeing it. Yeah, make him cover, and even more importantly, make him tackle. All right, like th- that's coverage. He's usually going to have someone like he'll have help somewhere. Tackling, you can make it way more difficult and put some of your shifty guys out there on him and and have him make a play in space. But yeah, that's got to be something that you you have to find a way to exploit. There's some. There's some interesting things in their in their personnel that I think offer like they offer some strengths to to Kansas State, but I with the proper team that's got the right offense and the right personnel, it leaves them open to to being exposed. Yeah. Uh I, I do think just from some of the success Missouri had with it, also some of the success Tulane had with it. Would not be shocked to see a little more QB run game sprinkled into this plan. Uh, Get yourself an extra blocker. You know, the running back just becomes a lead blocker in some of those. If you can get that light box and then just dial up some QB run game, there's all kinds of different schemes you can come up with. But, you know, we saw him do it on the QB draw. That was the huge play against Nebraska. You can you can do some of that against this defense and and gain an advantage, kind of change the math and make everything even even. I just don't know how much of that they want to do with Dylan Gabriel. Yeah. Well, that's true. It seems he's been pretty smart with it so far. We haven't seen yeah. him really take any big hits. He's 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 been smart. Um, but that's definitely a way to slow 91 down. You know, if 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 you are really worried about what he brings. You can isolate him in some of that stuff and hopefully take some of his strengths away from him. Yeah, as far as, you know, another thought on the passing game, I do think Oklahoma's wide receivers can run by these guys if they got time, especially 21, who's playing that middle safety spot for Kansas State. He's just a little he's a little short and stocky, a little stiff in the hips. Uh, I don't think he has great speed. So if they can isolate him in the middle of the field, I, I think, I think they can run by him. One thing I would really like to see, you know, we saw a little more 12 personnel stuff in the Nebraska game. Kansas State, they they line up differently in 12 personnel. I mean, they commit a, a lot of guys to the box. It almost turns into like a 4-3 almost. They, they almost get Brent's that the corner that's like 6-4. He almost comes into the core. It's almost like a 4-4 look, Ted. and. If they line up that way to 12 personnel, 
Dylan Gabriel needs to let it rip down the field. Yeah. Because yeah. you, and I know, and I've always been a big believer in getting in 12 personnel, getting in big personnel to throw the football vertically. If, if that's how they line up, and I'm sure we'll see it early in the game, they'll kind of feel out how they're going to line up to Daniel Parker and Braden Willis both being on the field. They line up that way, man, I'm telling you, you, you got it. You got to test them vertically. You got to see if all those new guys in their secondary can cover. Especially in college football. You know, I, I think it's one of, I think it's one of the weaknesses for offensive coordinators in college football in the NFL, especially because the ball's in the middle of the field and you've got high level quarterbacks, quarterbacks can read the entire field and be expected to make good, smart plays. They can have reads on opposite sides of where they're going with the football college. It's almost exclusively where you, where your head goes on the first, like when you take your first glance, like the ball's going to that side, it may not go to the first guy you look at, but rarely do you see quarterbacks come all the way back across the field where the offenses in college usually struggle pass protection. So, I think it's always worth it to get in a heavy personnel, max protect, and run two receiver routes on the other side because you're going there anyways. And, yeah, you can release a back or someone late as a safety valve option, but I think that's that's something in college football that needs to be done more, especially by the top teams that have, you know, like we can go 12 personnel put two tight ends in the core and have slot receivers, two receivers on one side and have like, you know, Mims and Farouk out there as our two wideouts and almost zero. There's hardly any schools across the country that can put uh, good coverage over the top of those two guys. If the quarterback has forever to throw the football. Right. So be interesting to see if we see some of that and then run game wise. I, I really think, making this group of defensive linemen from Kansas state and even the linebacker group, like they want to play straight along that defensive line. Like they want you to run some inside zone, run some gap seam stuff so they can anchor down and take on double teams. Like that's, that's what they want. I really think making this group move laterally would be an effective way to attack them. Right. Because these guys, they want to hunker down. You know, they, they, they want you to try to turn it into a battle of strain right there at the line of scrimmage. I could see this week being the week where we see Jeff Levy bust out some more perimeter runs, right? Attacking the edges of the defense, whether that's some re just actual outside zone or going back to some of the stuff he ran at Ole Miss. I mean, he had that where it was kind of G on the front side, that front side guard pulls. And it grabs that kind of midpoint player in the three, three, five, you just zone the backside. And then he's got the tight end in that, you know, kind of that nasty split backside. And he just comes all the way around and leads. And that, that was a really effective play for them. It'll miss. So we'll see, you know, I don't know if they're going to run any of that stuff, but I, I do think attacking them more on the edges, especially running it at 97, not 91. I think that would be, that would be a successful strategy if they decide to use that. Yeah. Uh, we've seen them getting some bunch, some tight bunch as well, uh, which I, I think any, t like one of the best ways to isolate a premier 
defensive player, an edge guy, is if you got good blockers like we do, is bunch and you down block, pull the tackle, and run, you know, some some perimeter stuff like yeah, I think you could do that easily with Braden Willis. You can still run split zone back the other way. I mean, you can build some really good packages out of that that kind of isolate their best player there on the edge. Yeah. And let's let's not forget our new favorite play, the hammer counter. Yeah, that's right. I bet we'll and, see it. And that that turns into kind of an edge run, right? With how it's yep. hitting, it's been hitting wide. It's not a counter play that hits up inside and like the B gap or anything like that. It's been especially if they if they fit it underneath, you know, yeah. if the DN comes underneath, then you're definitely gonna get a spill. So yeah. Should should we tell people what box and spill are and counter that? We don't have time for all that. No, we'll get we that's that'll be in a lesson down the line. That's an off season deal, I think. Yeah. All right. Now we we've got Mike Golick Jr. He's going to be on the call, the radio call for Learfield for the game. So we're going to talk a little more OUK State and kind of what he's seeing heading into the game. But of course, we got to get to call your shot. We asked you guys for your boldest predictions heading into this football game. And this first one comes from Zach Ball, who says Deuce and Adrian combined for less than 125 yards rushing. The entire game plan is stop them. If those two guys combine for less than 125 yards rushing, it's going to be a three-score win for Oklahoma. Fully agree. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I think there's also room for Deuce Vaughn to have as many, like they load him up with touches. Oh, yeah. It, he, I think he can still go over 100 yards. But you can still have a, a big win as long as you don't let him break any of the super long stuff, which we've done a good job up to this point, not allowing any really long runs. Uh, if you can keep him hemmed, hemmed up to where he's not turning your lights out from 50 or 60 yards away, then I still think that you can, you know, he's going to get some of his and he's going to make some plays. He's going to make some guys miss in space. You just can't let that turn into an explosive play that that scores. Yeah, and you know, thinking of that two lane game, he cramped up. He was gone for like he disappeared for a while, and that offense fell off. Right? Yeah, there's they got nowhere to go. I like thirty one. I I think he's a a good changeup, but they need Deuce Vaughn as a because defense is like in a panic, and when he lines up in the slot, it's like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? Yeah, that they're they're lost without him. And uh, this last one comes from Bo Payton, who says, these guys have been playing us tough for years, primarily because of our defense. Defense is better, but I still think it's closer than we want. Sooners by seven. It's always closer than we want with Kansas State. But you know what? And I agree with everything that that is said there. I think it would be... I think it would be some something of a massive confidence booster if if we went out and and executed like we have not played a complete game against Kansas State. I give them credit for what they do. They force you into some of that stuff. But you know, a lot of the special teams things, like that's been the difference in the games. Like when they beat us, it comes down to special teams. And I think it's fair to say that you can see the emphasis put on special teams 
with Brent Venables and this staff. And so far it's paid off and they've won that phase in all three games. If you can, if you can win that phase against Kansas state, if you can have the big punt return or you can have the big kickoff return or block, then it, that swings everything. And, you know, I can say that if we win special teams, I feel like we win this game handily. Everything else like is is you know, it's important but like to me that's going to think be the thing that really flips this game one way or the other. Yep. All right, birthday shout outs time. Happy 4th birthday to Lily Lemons. Happy belated 6th birthday to Teague Big Hampson Muir. I think it's Tyga if I remember from the email, Tyga Big Handsome Muir. I don't, Tiger, we tried our best, guys. Big Handsome Muir. <laughs> Happy seventh birthday to Harper Mitchell. Happy 29th birthday to Taylor in Nebraska. Happy 32nd birthday to Brittany Foshi. Happy 52nd birthday to Shreveport Mary Smith. Happy birthday to Debbie Johnstone. Happy upcoming birthday to Kirk Butler. Happy second anniversary to Kyle and Sanya Lashley. Yeah. And happy birthday to Braden Willis and anniversary to Shane and Macy Turley. Okay. I think you messed that one up. Happy Braden Willis anniversary to Shane and Macy. So what's that mean? Nine? Nine. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I did mess that up. That was dumb. Happy Braden Willis anniversary to Shane and Macy Turley. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Let's talk to our buddy, Mike Golick Jr. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Amore. The coffee is fantastic. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile to go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Love's Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Love's Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com and use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. It's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, Contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. All right, here's our buddy, Mike Golick, Jr. 
it is our pleasure to be joined by a man. He's a friend of the podcast and he's got his own podcast called the Gojo podcast. He'll also be on the call of OU Kansas state for Learfield college football Saturday night. We'll be going head to head with him on the radio broadcast. Mike Gulley jr. Is in the house. What's going on, man? Not too much, man. This is a, this is an exciting one for me because I've only been to Norman a couple of times and I haven't been able to really go and check out any of the sights or smells around town. And since I know local beef, I feel like I'm in very good hands as far as what I'll get to eat around campus. So I'm very pumped for this one. It's going to yeah. be a fun weekend. We got the, uh, the Selman statue is going to be unveiled as well. You got to stop by and see that. That's going to be cool. I know we got tipped off on that. Yeah, the the SID there has been great and giving us uh, up to date on all that. But yeah, that and that to me is the the fun part of all these weekends. You know, getting to pop around to a lot of different campuses the way I do is you get to see these moments for a lot of different teams. You get to see what's going on on campus. Perfect example: we were calling a game at Oklahoma State, which I won't say too loud around here. And I won't talk about the football portion of it, but on campus, they had a statue unveiling that was surrounded by a bunch of therapy dogs. And so I got to go out and pet dogs all afternoon when I got in there on Friday. So I understand that Stillwater is not going to be a voice that people want to talk about on this podcast right now, but everybody loves dogs. And so I figured I would lead with the good part of that weekend. You guys would appreciate. Yeah. The, uh, the OU Oklahoma state, relationship right now a bit strained with uh with the recent bedlam news but we we don't have to dive into all that let's let's talk OUK state and let's start with your thoughts on the Sooners you know with what you've been able to see as you study and prep for the game let's start offensively what kind of stands out to you about what you've seen from Oklahoma's offense so far well I, I think number one you know the play that you've got from Marvin Mims. Like I always look offensively, you're looking for speed, right? Any D coordinator out there is going to tell you the first thing you circle on the page is who's the guy that can hurt me with speed is the ability. And so far on the season, Marvin Mims has been sensational as most of us expected, but it's always going to be pace for Jeff Levy offense for me. I got to cover him when he was at Ole Miss last year. And it, it was so interesting to talking to Matt Corral about Jeff Levy, because everyone looked at that situation at Ole Miss and just thought Lane Kiffin as word association. But when that Jeff Levy hire got made by Brent Venables this offseason, I said, that's number one, great, because scheme wise, you were running a version of the air raid with Lincoln. Everyone knows that, but you're bringing in another version of that, one that's going to stress people even more with the pace of play, but also a coordinator that really did a great job of connecting with his quarterback. And Matt Corral talked so much about how that relationship mattered. And so now you're bringing Dylan Gabriel over. It's a guy he's got some familiarity with already and someone who I think clearly invests in the relationship at that position in a way that helps because you guys know if you're going to go fast, you're putting a lot on the quarterback's plate. You're asking him to do more of the lift so that everyone else can go out here and operate based on the call and signal that's coming in at blazing speed. And so far, I think you've seen a lot of positive from there in Dylan Gabriel. And this is an offense that through the sheer volume of reps he's going to get is only going to improve as the year goes along. And I know, Gabe, you'll appreciate this. I think the offensive lines block people up really well, too. I think that's one thing that we become accustomed to, or at least in the action that I've seen, we become accustomed accustomed to Oklahoma having a really strong offensive line tradition. And I know you and I 
were up in arms in the last few years because we didn't see as much of God's play outside zone as we wanted to. But I felt like in the games that I've seen, especially going and looking at Nebraska, they did a good job of handling business up front. I, I can't wait to get your perspective on this. You know, uh, fans always have to find something to complain about or argue about no matter what the result is so far in the season. And the big debate in, in our fan base right now is Marcus major and Eric gray. So between those two running backs, I would love a, an outsider's view, an expert outsider's view, non-biased of what you think of the two running backs. I mean, listen, it, we're obviously catching Eric Gray at a really good time coming off the Nebraska game, but he's hot. I liked what I, I, I liked what I saw there from Eric Gray. And like, I can understand some of the consternation, but I don't know, as someone who used to block for running backs, I appreciate what Eric Gray brings to the table as far as vision and willing to hit it up there. I, I what, what, so wait, what is the chief argument among there? Are people trying to get majors, major more carries in this? Is that the, is that the beef? Yeah, that's the beef. Uh, there's a, I would say, a majority section of the fan base that feels like Marcus Major is the best runner of the football and should get more carries. I, I'm in this camp where I don't care. You go with the hot hand. Whoever's playing the best at the moment, you got two really good backs that are a little bit different, but this is the things that fans dig in on, man. It, it is amazing, and it's it's worth pointing out that in this offense, it should make it easy for both. Like you look the pace you want to go at having two backs like this is a huge win. I don't know why I want to split the baby on this necessarily, because the one thing with how quick the pill gets out in this offense is you end up with a lot of light box looks like that's the thing I'm most interested for Kansas state is what are they going to do defensively? They're running their version of the three, three, five, like damn near everyone is at this point to try and corral so much of this, but can their front five really hold up? in that run game because you end up with some wide open lanes the way this offense tends to operate. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I'm sure both major and gray will both touch the ball plenty in, in this football game. Okay. Looking at the other side of the ball for Oklahoma, clearly a lot of talk about the improvement under Brent Venables, Ted roof calling the defense. What What's kind of stood out to you about OU's defense with what you've seen? Um, I think D-line, I mean, listen, the, the surest sign of a Brent Venables defense, and like you said, I know Ted Roof's calling the defense, but Brent Venables' DNA is going to be in this, and the fact that they're already, you know, near the top of the country in sacks, TFL, all the havoc stats behind the line of scrimmage isn't surprising, and you look personnel-wise, Reggie Grimes has certainly popped on tape. Jeffrey Johnson, who Kansas State's having nightmares about what Tulane did to them up front, Jeffrey Johnson was one of their best players last year. I got to cover them a couple of times, and that was a guy who would trim down a veteran player on that D-line who was playing some of his best ball by the end, and I think has shown up a little bit along the interior. So uh, I think that group Number one has popped to me on tape. I think in the secondary, Billy Bowman's getting a lot of praise, and rightly so. But I, I think for the importance of this game, because Kansas State offensively, everything they want to do, Deuce Vaughn is certainly the headliner, but Adrian Martinez, everything they want to do is built off quarterback run, which shouldn't be a surprise because Colin Klein's calling the offense, and 
Colin Klein worked in an offense at Kansas State where everything ran through his ability to run the football. And that's the running game. That's the play action game. They want to have off of that. They spend so much time with either two backs or two tight ends on the field. And so I think that D-line's ability to really go out and continue to create havoc, some of that's going to happen schematically, the way you can flex between three and four down looks and kind of create that chaos. But I think that front group, with a quarterback and Adrian Martinez, who when push comes to shove is still going to be a want a guy that wants to go make use of his gifts as an athlete. That group's going to be, I think the most important heading into this weekend. Uh, you touched on something there that I think is, is really interesting heading into this game. We saw the first two games of the season, Oklahoma defensively majored in the four man front. And then against Nebraska ran exclusively the three man front. As a former offensive lineman, like what difficulty does that present to K-State right now? Because we hadn't shown that previously, but now all of a sudden, I, how do you divvy up the, the work week between what fronts you're blocking and what, what pressure does that put on the offensive line for Kansas State? Yeah, and, and this is all really how you're coached, right? Because this is a spot where if you're a team that's going to try and predict and block looks all week, you're going to have a tough time because this is a defense that is going to be multiple enough over the long season. And you're right. Showing that before this game, I'm sure is calculated to an extent and just what was going to work well against Casey Thompson in a very different offense last week, right? You were going to need more of those bodies in the back end because Nebraska was going to want to sling it around a little bit more with the quarterback that they had. And so if I had to predict, I'd imagine we'd probably see more four down just given the personnel Kansas state's going to show, but now you got to think about it. And to me, that always showed up most in the pressures that you had to prepare for because they're just a little bit different in the angles and the calls and the way that you have to account for that as an offensive line. And so when you get to third down, which is an area that Kansas state has struggled so far earlier in the season, they have not been a good third down team. I think they're converting somewhere around 26%. And so now when you've got to deal with what I always called the Brent Venables galaxy brain uh, pressure package, if you get them into third down and now they're not just worried about four down and inserting a couple of backers, it's three down with multiple defensive back bodies on the field that now could come from damn near anywhere because the formation's a little bit more evened up in the three down look. So I, I just, I think especially in the pressure package, it starts to create some headaches that for me as an offensive lineman, were always the toughest part going into a week where you had a group that was that multiple. Yeah. And they're not the exact same, but Kansas state, just from going against their defense and spring ball and training camp, they they should be they should know exactly how they want to block that three three five look, right? Because I mean they they've seen it over and over and over again in practice, so they're probably focusing a little more because they've got their base rules for how they want to block some things. Now, the pressure that BV brings and some of that stuff and where the bullets are flying from can be a little different, but they're probably focusing more on some of the four-man front stuff that OU showed in the first two games because they already have those base rules established how to block that 3-3-5 structure. Now, just because you have the rules doesn't mean you're going to block it, right? That's Those are two very different things. But that's just, that's just a little, uh, you know, an interesting thing. Looking at Kansas State's offense, Mike, Adrian Martinez, have they have they coached all the risk 
taking out of him because, it, dude, it seems like he doesn't want to throw the ball down the field at all. It certainly seems like it, and that's the smart thing to do if you're Kansas State because, again, you believed you can win football one way for a long time around there. Skylar Thompson may have been a bit of a departure from that, turned into a guy that now gave himself Sunday opportunities, but I hope for their sake because – Listen, that's going to be their only path to victory is winning this on the ground. They've always wanted to win with the offensive line. I think they still have a pretty competent group up front, but there's a reason they pack it in tight. They also I don't think have a lot of receivers that can go out there and necessarily get open. Malik, Malik Knowles has been there, I feel like, as long as Bill Snyder was there. That guy, every year I look up, is somehow still on the team. So him and Phillip Brooks are two guys that provide some threat there, but – Listen, this is also a quarterback that I just don't think in Adrian Martinez is comfortable throwing into tight windows. They're not going to be able to scheme him a ton of throws. So, yeah, that's to be expected. I, I don't I don't look at this offense and expect the aerial attack to ever be anything that we're going to headline a game with going into it. And I think it's purely going to be, can we create enough interesting angles with full house backfield sets and moving 12 personnel, even when they go spread formations, it's with big bodies. They're trying to get some creative matchups there. It's going to be about, can we create enough opportunities for Adrian Martinez to hurt you as a runner early on so we can open up some creative play action shots that are going to give him bunnies for throws, give him layups in the middle of the field to some of those tight ends, because at this point, we know who he is as a quarterback. Adrian Martinez isn't going to totally reinvent himself. And so Colin Klein's going to try and mitigate risk. And I think that's the right thing to do. And it's it worked up until the two-lane game. What you see that went wrong there? Uh, a team that just did pretty much anything they wanted to the first two weeks offensively comes up against Tulane. And, you know, as that game, it, it felt like they tightened up a lot, Adrian Martinez specifically. But what you see? What went wrong? Um, well, I think they got beat up quite honestly, like defensively Tulane out hit them. That is one of the better tackling performances from a defensive secondary and linebacker group I've seen all season. There were no extra yards to be had. And that kind of goes to the point about there's not a lot of open receivers in that offense, but even when it looked like there was a window, Tulane came up and got them wrapped up, especially along the lines of scrimmage. I thought Kansas State got pushed around a little more than usual. First game for Deuce Vaughn under 100 total yards, I think in like nine tries. So they won the battle in the trenches, which again, why I, I kind of pointed back to Oklahoma's D-line and what they've been able to do up the field, because again – if you got a team that can't go deep down the field on you very often, and you've got a rushing attack that got a little bit of their nose bloody last week, Oklahoma is a really bad recipe to show up on defense because they're going to make splash plays behind the line of scrimmage. And Kansas State right now has not shown their ability to be a team that can operate well off script. That's why you get to bad third down numbers the way that they've got. And that to me is the nightmare for them going into this game is does it snowball if all of a sudden Oklahoma's got no threat? If you're Kansas State, you've got to find a way to try and manufacture a big play early just to give some credible threat to the deep ball. Because if not, you've seen this Oklahoma team wants to live downhill and making plays, you know, stuff rate plays that show up in the stat sheet. And if Kansas State gives them that opportunity, as much as I enjoy their offensive line and think the world of Deuce Vaughn, the quarterback Reed's only going to give you so much relief. Looking at Kansas State's defense, I think it's been the strength of the team, as good as Deuce Vaughn is. And I think he's one of the most electric players in all of college football. I feel like the defense has been the strength of the football team. W what have you seen from the Wildcats on the defensive side of things? 
Yeah. I mean, I think just discipline to start, right? Like you talked about the version that they've seen in practice. So much of the three, three, five is just about that. It's about discipline and keeping everything sort of inside the structure. Uh, I think up front, you've seen good job from uh, 91, who I'm still in the portion of the week where I'm uh, making sure that pronunciation is something I have ironed out. By I got Saturday. you. I got you. Felix and UDK Uzama. There we go. I'm going to clip ben, that and just run that in my ears before the game. Ben, I've been I've, saying that for years now. I pronounce it differently. I pronounce it 91. Say that's the old, that's the old football player in me is I just look and I'm like a coach where I just see numbers and I'm like, Oh yeah, 91, 22, all these guys that show up for you here. Um, uh, 29 as well. But yeah, I, I just think for more than anything, it's the, it's the structure that's done and in for them there. They got guys that understand and that's, been the Kansas State way going back through most of the Bill Snyder tenure. Obviously, a couple of years ago, they make that switch from a four-down group to a three-down group because to corral a lot of the offenses you needed to in this conference, there was really only one way, and we've seen it become really popular. And so I, I think for them, it's always just, and for anyone that's going to play Oklahoma on offense, man, it's how can you operate, simplify, and communicate at the pace that you're going to be pressed with here? Because it's just different, and you guys can speak to this. It wasn't like Lincoln's offense was necessarily slow all the time, and there was a ton of space that got used in the offense, but it's really like Tennessee, you guys, and a couple other teams that can operate at the kind of speed that you want to see. So how's this thing have to unfold for Kansas State to win it? Like, what's the – What's the formula here for them when, whenever at the end of the game they're they're walking off there with the, another W at Oklahoma, which they've done more than pretty much anyone in the Big 12? Yeah, I, I would say early shots. Like, again, you've got to try and brush Oklahoma back on defense some that so you can start to open up the offense that you want to get to here. Adrian Martinez has to be careful with the football and the way that you guys have talked about. And it's got to be the offensive line winning them the game on that side of the ball. So you've got to kind of pass to open up the run where that team wants to live. And then defensively, it, can you just – bow up enough in the red zone can it be an area where you slow them down a little bit Oklahoma's done more running than passing in the red zone so you're going to have to try and load up the box and account for that down in that area of the field but to me can you steal a couple of possessions in that way can you hold a couple of field goals there for an Oklahoma offense that I think points per drive wise is averaging over a field goal a drive they've been one of the most efficient offenses in the country especially down in the red zone so can you steal one opportunity there Oklahoma hasn't needed time of possession. They've been a you know bottom of the league time of possession team this season. And it doesn't matter when you're that efficient on offense. So for Kansas State, ball control is still going to be the answer. It's how you've got to beat a team this potent on offense. But on the other side, you've got to not only go out there and I think hold them to three more often than you have in the red zone, but also try and see if you can steal one turnover-wise, get something in there that can help out and give your offense another shot of going out and keeping Dylan Gabriel in this unit on the sideline with those long extended TV shots. Yeah, and I guess the only other thing I would say is anytime you're playing Kansas State, man, special teams, mm -hmm. you, you never know. You know, Phillip Brooks has been a really good returner for them. You, you just never know, man. That's kind of – I don't know because Bill Snyder's not the coach there anymore. It's Chris Kleiman. Now, but somehow they're still awesome at special teams. I just don't, I, I don't understand how it's just like it happens for that program. It's so weird. 
they just hand over the manual and Bill Snyder had been there long enough to where that was essentially the size of a cheesecake factory menu as far as the secrets to mythical special teams. And he just handed it off to Chris Kleiman, who, I mean, listen, it's not like the North Dakota state teams he was coaching were any slouches in any phase of the ball. So they're used to that sort of weird voodoo magic that comes with playing in towns that wouldn't you necessarily think be football meccas, but have been built up into juggernauts and Kansas state has no right to have ever been as good as they've been. And, uh, that seems to continue to be holding serve there in Manhattan. I, I just I wanted to ask you about Oklahoma, kind of your thoughts about them going into the season. Uh, now what you've seen from them on tape, and I, where can this group, like what's the ceiling of this group that you've seen, which, you know, it's, it can be hard through three games. They've gotten quite a bit, quite a bit better in each game, but uh, how do they kind of compare to maybe some of the other top teams around the country in your opinion? Yeah, I think they're right in that range. And to your point, it's early in the season, so it's tough to tell with a lot of these teams. Like, Michigan hasn't played anybody. They did an NFL preseason with the games that they started off with this season. USC's been able to go out there and pace and space people, I think, faster than a lot of us expected. Clemson still can't really play offense in the way that we like, but the defense has so much talent. And so I think Oklahoma's right in that bottleneck of teams. I think the uh, Oklahoma State's probably in that range also. But just because Brent Venables has so far been able to come in and get the defense to a place that Oklahoma fans have been waiting and watched it inch towards under the end of Lincoln Riley there for a while, I think there's this thought that if you've got the answer there, the offense is already paying enough dividends to where they can be in that conversation as Big 12 champion yet again, which has you know, obviously been the standard for Oklahoma for quite some time now. But they can be a playoff team. I think based on the talent they've got, a quarterback and a coordinator who are really comfortable with each other and a defense that's wreaking havoc in ways that we maybe haven't seen as consistently. It's definitely showed up, especially in recent years. I mean, Nick Benito and a bunch of those guys were raising hell behind the lines of scrimmage. You've had NFL draft picks there, but if you can have the strength start to tilt more to that side of the ball, yeah, they should be in the conversation for what I think right now is the important conversation in college football. Who's the fourth best team in the country? We know one through three. Those ones are going to be consistent for a while, but Oklahoma is going to, like they've always been, I think, and it's a testament to what BV has been able to come in and do early, maintain the standard around there. Because we see, I mean, hell, look at my alma mater. It's easy for that standard to slip if one or two things go wrong when you're doing a regime change and they've got to kind of rework some things and redevelop some things. So far, Oklahoma has been able to maintain that standard, and it's really impressive. You mentioned the old alma mater. Everything all right with the Golden Domers, man? Everything cool? You uh, almost lost the cow. It was, man, I let me tell you, I have not been fun to be around <laughs> traveling around for these games in press boxes. I have really had to like almost carry a muzzle so that I don't scream four letter words watching Hail Mary's almost drop. But uh, no, you know what? I, I will say as Notre Dame offensive line is getting there. Defense is still pretty potent. They're just on a backup quarterback who really struggled out of the gate right now. And you want to talk about not being able to push the ball downfield. Notre Dame's got no semblance of that right now. So if that offensive line continues to develop, they'll have a shot to, you know, be a bowl team this season and, get some of that development, but we have had to adjust expectations this year. So uh, you guys enjoy keeping, uh, keeping up with what you've been used to, because some of us are learning about a different lot in life all over again. This is the crazy thing about college football. You and I, after that Ohio state game, we're texted like, Hey man, I mean, what a, 
they didn't win, but that's a hell of an opener. Like a lot of positivity for Marcus Freeman. You got the guy and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. That, uh, the lights went out on that early and part of me thinks it's good because man, you know, with, with these big time programs, as long as they think you're in it, it's a tough crucible to come in and, you know, for Brent Venables, who does this with a ton of familiarity with Oklahoma, having been here for so long as a coordinator, and then just being one of the more tenured assistants in college football, he's got a lot more seasoning on him than 36-year-old Marcus Freeman, who now is doing all of this under that unique microscope. And part of me is happy. People just look away for a little bit now. We can go out there and we can do the hard work of this and come back next year and hopefully have the quarterback thing figured out. It's tough. Uh, expectations. Uh, often get way out in front of where they actually should be. And I think, I think USC, who's done a good job so far, I think they're going to come up against that at some point this season as well. Yeah, that's a, that point is going to be Utah, I think. That point is going yeah. to be what they look like against Utah. And after this yeah. weekend, man. Oregon State's pretty, pretty salty now. Or if Oregon State will go out there and whoop someone's you-know-what up front. That's one of my favorite groups to watch in the country. The other one, man. Washington, if UW manages to keep this thing going, they're a fascinating matchup for SC in the Pac-12 championship game. I, I imagine Washington fans are like, hey, maybe play less good so we don't lose to board like right away. <laughs> like, man, he, that dude can coach. Golik, always fun catching up, man. And can't wait to see you. Are we going to dinner on Friday night or what, man? Like, are you going to dinner with your crew? Have you made the decision? What you got to let me know. I, I'm fit. We're still finalizing plans right now. Usually at this time of the week, our producer sends out the email and lets us know where the feeding trough's going to be. I'm going to try and double dip because obviously I got to be a team guy, but I also know I cannot come to Norman. I cannot be near Oklahoma City without coming and breaking bread with my guy Gabe. So we're going to make this happen one way or another. You have my word on that. All right. I trust you. All right, man. We'll see you Saturday. Thanks. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. I, I'm very excited to see that man. He's the best. Yeah, no, he, and I'm, I'm anxious to, to kind of hear his thoughts after the game. I know he's done some research on some good research on Oklahoma. And, um, I, you know, I, I think this, you know, like we've talked about, I think there's a chance that Oklahoma can come up, play a really good football game and, uh, and roll this one. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Let's preview some of the best games of week four in college football but first it's football time in oklahoma and there's nothing better to drink at the tailgate than clubby seltzers clubby seltzers is an oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious it tastes exactly like a club special but it's a seltzer and they're not just for tailgating either they're perfect to drink by the pool on the golf course after mowing the lawn whatever if you haven't tried clubby seltzers yet go grab some you won't regret it. Variety pack is out. New flavors are out. New can is out. To find a place near you that has clubbies, visit clubbyseltzers.com. And attention, business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. 
best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. All right, week four in college football. Chose three games. And I think the first one's the only top 25 on top 25 matchup of the weekend, maybe. Number 20, Florida, going to number 11, Tennessee. Right now, Tennessee is a 10.5-point favorite. This will be the 230 game on CBS. College game day, going to be in Knoxville. I assume Neyland Stadium is going to absolutely be rocking for this one. And I know everyone wants to focus on Tennessee's offense and what Heupel is doing there, but really Tennessee's defense looking pretty good too. I mean, they got some athletes on that side of the ball and I, I just, Anthony Richardson's fallen off a cliff ever since he looked incredible in that Utah game. If Florida wants to have a chance in this game against a talented Tennessee team in a very hostile environment, they got to be able to slow the game down. They got to get that running game going. They got to run it effectively to have a chance. And Anthony Richardson cannot make the mistakes with the football he's been making these last couple of days. When I look at this game, I just think Hendon Hooker, Jalen Wright, you know, that combo wide receiver, wide receiver of Hyatt and Tillman for the Vols. I just think it's going to be too much with the way that Florida's playing right now. Uh, I'm expecting the old fighting Josh Heupels to roll in this game, Ted. I am too, uh, which is, you know, wild. Tennessee's up to number 11 in the polls. Um, got a chance to go 4-0. and I don't know the last time Tennessee started off 4-0, and especially – um, you know, with a couple of really nice wins in there, like a, over someone like Florida, um, that would be impressive for him. Hendon Hooker, uh, you know, fifth year, or maybe even six year senior guy, been there a long time, playing with a ton of experience, really good in the running game. Um, I, you know, I think Florida is talented. I just think it's a little too quick. And Anthony Richardson has, you know, he's definitely got some things that he is excellent at, but if you can take away the line of scrimmage and make him predictable, you can absolutely chew him up. What's he got? Like six turnovers, six interceptions, no touchdowns right now. Not good. Not the ratio you're looking for. Not a good ratio. So it's all going to be about stopping the run early against Florida for Tennessee. And you're right. Their defense is playing really well. Yeah. And uh, I said it, it might be the only top 25 on top 25 matchup. I'm, I'm just an idiot because we're going to talk about another game that is a top 25 on top 25 matchup with Arkansas and A&M. And I think Clemson Wake Forest also a top 25 matchup. So uh, going to go ahead and retract that statement. I'm a moron and I'll fully admit that, <laughs> but I do think, you know, this, the battle for the sec East, I mean, clearly Georgia feels like they're head and shoulders above not only everyone in that division, maybe everybody else in the country. I mean, they look incredible, but is it feels like it's going to be Tennessee that's going to be the only team that's going to kind of push Georgia in the East. And if that's going to be the case, they got to kind of come out and make a statement in this game. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, I I think Kentucky is still still there a little bit as well. Right. Um, I think Tennessee has more talent, but Kentucky plays really tough. And you know, I, I you're right about Georgia. It, it they're going to have to be a, have a down game, maybe get the injury bug or something like that for one of these teams to to be able to knock them off. But uh, nonetheless, I think the East is it's is as tough as it's been, and I think it, just the structure of what they've got going on it's going to be really tough moving forward. I think Florida's got the right coach in place. I think Heupel's the right coach at Tennessee. Obviously, what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky. I love Shane Bieber. I know they are behind the curve talent-wise, but he's an excellent coach. Like The East, coach-wise, is set up beautifully, and it's going to be tough moving forward. But, yeah, I take Tennessee pretty big in this one. Yeah. All right, looking at the next game. Number 17, Baylor, goes to Ames to take on Iowa State, who has started 3-0 and for the first time in a long time. And Iowa State now up to a three-point favorite. 11 a.m. kickoff for this one. And I think Iowa State's defense is good. I'm kind of just defaulting to John Haycock in that system and the fact that they've, they've just been good on defense for a while now they haven't played an offense worth a damn though but i'm kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt and the one thing that iowa state has done a tremendous job of is limiting explosive plays and, and right now blake shapen that baylor offense they are not they are not producing explosive plays offensively and, and that's a big issue in that Jeff Grimes system, because the whole system is built on, hey, run outside zone, run outside zone, boot, run outside zone, run outside zone, play action shot. Mm-hmm. And they're just not connecting on those shots. And I thought that Shapen would bring that aspect to that offense and that Gary Bohannon kind of didn't. And it just, it hasn't worked out that way. I, I don't know if it's going to be Shapen or Hunter Deckers, but it feels like one of those guys is going to make some critical mistakes in this football game. We'll see who it ends up being, but if Baylor can get the run game going, it could be a long day for Iowa State with with what Hunter Deckers and that offense has looked like so far for Iowa State. Now, Cartavius Norton, who's kind of a stud freshman that they feel really good about at the running back position for Iowa State, supposed to be back. For this game, it feels like a low scoring game. Feels like a game that's going to be played in the, you know, the low twenties. I think I like Iowa state and Ted, the reason I do it may be because that DJ is going to be blaring the loudest house music ever to wake those people up for an 11 a.m. kickoff. Oh, I know it. I know it. And they'll be there. This is, I think this is an awesome matchup. Me too. Um, I'm kind of surprised. You know, it's funny. It's the first time Iowa State started 3-0 in a long time. And I, the last two years, they were like a default top 25 team no matter what, no matter how they started. And now they're finally 3-0. They finally beat Iowa and not a top 25 team. Uh, but I, I still think they're good. You know, this is one of the teams that I felt like maybe we were making too much of all the guys that they lost. and. You know, we 
I'm saying we, I kind of left them for dead a little bit after that group graduated, but seemed like they've, they've done a really good job in the portal. Uh, they still have one of the best wide receivers in the big 12. I think Deckers is, I mean, he's got three interceptions so far, but he pushes the ball downfield. He's aggressive. He's athletic. You know, I think Baylor's big problem so far has been, you're right about the, the explosive plays. I feel like the real strength of their offense has been like, you've got to have the explosive plays in the running game in order to really scare people into, you know, like we have to stop the run. And that's whenever the explosive downfield plays in the passing game roll around. It's just, they haven't been able to turn people's lights out with that, with those running plays as of right now. I'm I'm leaning Iowa State too, and I never would have thought I was going to say that looking at this game before the season started. But here we are, and I I think I'm taking Iowa State. Yeah, uh, Iowa State was the team, you know, in the preseason that I said was going to win a lot more games than a lot of people thought in the Big Twelve. I actually picked them to finish ahead of Kansas State in my preseason poll. Picked like seven or something like in the poll. Yeah. So I mean, I was I was higher on Iowa State, and it's just because I thought that. They were kind of in a more comfortable space when it came to yeah. expectations, right? And that's kind of where Campbell thrives. And I'd heard some good things about Deckers, but they've got Xavier Hutchinson. And right now, while, you know, a guy like Monterey Baldwin or Hal Presley, I, I don't think Baylor has that go-to guy at wide receiver. And you, you mentioned the run game. They're, they've taken like the running back by committee approach now, Reese, the freshman, seems like he may be emerging as the guy at Baylor for uh, at the running back spot, but we'll see. I, I think this is going to be a great game. It may not be the most entertaining game, but it's going to be a close one. So that should, be, uh, that should be fun. Okay, last game. Number 10, Arkansas, playing Texas A&M, 6 p.m., Jerry World, neutral site game. The Aggies currently a two-point favorite. And Ted, this should be a fun one, man. Arkansas. Now, Arkansas fans and probably the players and coaches had to be looking at each other like, what the hell is going on when they fell down 17 to nothing to Missouri State last weekend, but ended up coming back. Certainly not the performance they were looking for, but hey, maybe we'll forget about it if they roll the Aggies in this one. Looking at the quarterbacks in this game, I don't think there's any doubt that KJ Jefferson is a more impactful player than Max Johnson, but Arkansas's defense is struggling, struggling dead last in the country in pass defense, giving up over 352 yards, passing a game. I just don't know if Max Johnson's the guy that can take advantage of that. Now, A&M's defense, they haven't been great and haven't been great against the pass either. But they got a lot of talent, and they've really buckled down in the red zone, right? That's what won them that game against Miami. It could be a little tougher, though, because you look at Raheem Sanders, you look at what K.J. Jefferson can do in the running game as well at the quarterback spot. I I don't really know how this game is going to go. I love Sam Pittman. Arkansas is much easier to cheer for for me which is probably why I'm going to pick A&M to win the game because we can't have nice things, right? That's how the world works. Yeah, that's that's usually, um, yeah, 
unfortunately. It's weird. I think Arkansas wins. Not only do I think Arkansas wins, I think they win big. It, they're, you're right. Their defense has struggled. But A&M is so bad offensively that i mean they're going to they're going to do some things they're going to make some plays but they're just they're just not going to be able to score with arkansas offensively i don't think a&m's played anyone close to what arkansas can do on the offensive side both running the football throwing the football the quarterback run game stuff that you're going to get i think arkansas i think arkansas puts up a ton of points and A&M maybe is able to do some things offensively, but they're going to have to get super aggressive chasing Arkansas down on the scoreboard, and that's when Max Johnson or whoever else they end up going with is going to make mistakes. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I do think Devon A. Chain and I. Smith, both just you know fun, dynamic playmakers to watch for A&M. Yep. And then if you're going to watch this game, Drew Sanders – Coming off the edge for Arkansas. I know a lot of OU fans remember that name. Went to Bama. Ended up transferring to Arkansas. That dude is fun to watch at that edge spot. He is. He's been a maniac coming off the edge for the Hogs. I was mad that he didn't come to OU. Um, I'm still mad that he didn't come to OU, but I guess at least he's not still at Alabama. It's fun to see him having some success at Arkansas, though. You're right. He's stud. Big kid. Can run. Has a motor good player yeah but that'll be a fun game looking forward to that one all right let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week but first first fidelity bank is a full service financial institution based in oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs checking accounts saving accounts home loans and much more they do it all whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone everything is stress-free with ffb Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing, head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snack some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember in 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best-in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconiesdistilling.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? Well, this is a special edition of winners and losers on my end because I'm attacking Bedlam because I think there's winners 
from what's gone on, and I think there's losers from what's gone on. I'll start with the uh, the winning side. Oklahoma State, absolutely winners for this thing not continuing forward. Oklahoma has been the largest barricade for them really breaking into that next level of football teams. Um, if you go back record wise and look at it, it, it's, it's been, it's been the Achilles heel for Mike Gundy, uh, not being able to get past Oklahoma. And there's reasons for that, right? There, there are two different programs that have different access to different types of types of things, but not playing this game for the football program for Oklahoma state may be the best thing that's ever happened to them. They can get out of the shadow. They don't have to take what's been almost a guaranteed L over the years. And they got a good chance to win the Big 12. They got a good chance to to have one more win every season moving forward. And I think that's going to help them tremendously. I think it's going to help them in recruiting. I think it's going to help them in how they're ranked. I think it's going to help them, um, you know, bring in some more money, you know, I know that that game was huge for them locally bringing in money, but I think with what can be more consistent results high in the top 25, perhaps playoff appearances year in, year out under the expanded format, I think overall, like I wouldn't have gone about it the same way that Oklahoma state did as far as like, their public comments about it, but I, it's a no brainer to me. Like if, if you're Oklahoma state, and you're talking about the best outcome for your football team. You don't want to play this game. Yeah. And even though, and I know they won the game last year, right? We all watched it, but it has, it has not gone particularly well for Oklahoma state when those two teams meet. So, yeah, I agree. Them not having to play that game, when you think about wins and losses for their football program, huge positive for them moving forward. No doubt about it. Yep. Loser. I mean, there, there's there's a bunch of losers. I think I, I think it's just I, the thing that you have to circle is tradition, right? And you can attack that from a million different angles. Families that have, you know, different sides that root for different teams. And there's always that, you know, that rivalry going on between families and friends. And I think the, the in-state, you know, money generated from these two teams playing, I think is tremendous, Uh, especially local communities and still, or local businesses in Stillwater and in Norman. I mean, this game is always a packed house, Um, but, you know, it's it's not just the bedlam tradition. Right? We're we're seeing it across the country with the realignment. I mean, it's an it's an unfortunate aspect of what's gone on. Uh, you cannot be left behind money wise, and in order to not be left behind money wise, you have to make some difficult decisions and let go of some things that maybe previously you never would have imagined letting go of. And I think. Unfortunately, we may see a little bit more of it before this is all said and done, but 
you know, whenever you lose something, hopefully you gain something and, and maybe with Oklahoma state and with Oklahoma, we can both end up finding some new rivalries in our new conferences. I'm with you. And We'll end up seeing how this all works out. I, I refuse to believe that this game's just going away for forever. I know. I think when you, know, when you look at where college football is headed, I think it could come back maybe quicker than people think with the college football playoff expansion and with how significant a role the TV networks are playing now. I, I don't think it's going to be that far down the road where power five teams are going to be playing 11 power five games every year. And that's going to be something that the networks push for and how that, you know, what type of domino effect that has for some of the lower levels of college football. I don't know, but, and I would like to say, and Brett McMurphy broke that story and it was a great article with the quotes from Weiberg and from Joe C, but this whole notion that, this game can't be played because things are scheduled and they're full. That's such bullshit on both sides. It because the scheduling philosophy for both, right? Hey, we're going to play one power five in the non-conference when we're going to play, you know, a group of five and then an FCS. No one wants to watch the FCS game. Nobody, nobody get rid of it and play bedlam. It's that easy. Oh, well, it's complicated. We have country. No, 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 no. It's that easy. It really is. I promise. And all this excuse making on both sides, I'm just like, guys, can you just, can you just spare us? Stop treating us like we're idiots. Like, oh, the philosophy, uh, just, it just doesn't work. Oh, oh, really? You know, I was looking at, you know, the future schedule for Oklahoma state, right. In 2024. Oh, OSU fans, you know, let's say OU's in the SEC by then. They they want to watch OSU play South Dakota State instead of Bedlam? No. I mean, really? How about 2026 for Oklahoma State? Murray State. Oh, yeah, I'm sure the Cowboys faithful are fired up for that one. And the same thing can be said for Oklahoma. I, I have no interest in watching OU play Illinois State in 2025 to kick the season off or New Mexico in 2026. Zero interest. OU's got one non-conference opponent on the schedule for 2027, and it's that SMU series. They got two open dates. Why can't one be Bedlam? Someone explain to me. why. Oh, well, the philosophy. Change the philosophy. It ain't that hard. Give us good games. I well, mean, that's where I, that's the thing that pisses me off is they're t- like, oh, it just can't happen. We're full. That's such bullshit. Yeah. Well, it's going to change sooner or later because just like you said, no one wants to watch those games. And I, if you talk to Oklahoma State fans, at least from what I've heard, and I haven't, I've, I've heard from a very, very small percentage of Oklahoma State fans, but it sounds like the narrative is like, we don't, we don't want to play it. We're fine with not playing it. And I can understand that. You know, who's not fine with you not playing it? The networks. That is a highly rated football game. It's one of the most bet football games in all of college sports. And 
I, you, you have to look at it from a network's perspective. You're replacing a highly rated game, one of the highest bet games in all of college football with, who'd you say, South Dakota State or something like Like, that's a game, that's what you're replacing it with. Yeah. The network does not like that. And fans shouldn't like it either. But like, if the philosophy remains the same, like OU fans, we're going to have to watch a bad game instead of watching Bedlam. We're, I, think, I think the situation that changes everything is when two lost teams start making the 12-team playoff. Right. Until or hopeful, happens, at least. Right. Until that happens, unfortunately, in college football, the fear of losing two games is uh, – you can't overcome that right now. It's like, why would we play Oklahoma and stab ourselves in the foot whenever we don't even need to under the current model of trying to win a championship? That's, yeah, yeah. And it makes sense, unfortunately. Yeah, my, my whole thing is there's no doubt that, I mean, and it's, it's silly to say, okay, whose fault is it? Like, there's no doubt that the majority of the blame goes to Oklahoma, right? You're leaving for the SEC. You were in the same conference. You're not anymore. But Oklahoma State, anybody would have done the same thing, right? Would have made the same financial decision if they were presented the same opportunity. Like, yeah, OU leaving. I I can see, I could take off my crimson and cream glasses and say, yes, that is the main reason why Bedlam's going to go away. But this notion on both sides that it just can't be worked out is just ridiculous to me. Just play the damn game, man. Totally agree. And, and the thing that bothers me the most, maybe not the most, but there's two things. Number one, we've been making fun of Texas and Texas A&M for years. Just play each other. Stop whining. Stop like, who cares? Just play each other. And now look at us. We're doing the exact same thing. I know it. the exact same thing that we've been making fun of them for, for over a decade now. And, and this is not to get like too sentimental or anything. It, when this happened, when Brett McMurphy's story broke, I was, I was sitting out, I was sitting downstairs, hanging out with my son. And I was like, this is wild. I'm going to have to explain to him that Oklahoma and Oklahoma state used to play each other. And it used to be called Bedlam and that two of my favorite memories of my entire life, beating them in overtime in Norman in what was that 2012 and then coming back and beating them in Stillwater in 2013, two of my favorite memories ever. I'm going to have to explain why that was important. And it just pisses me off. It's like, that's not like kids growing up here should understand the importance of that rivalry, and they should be able to watch that that game. It pisses yeah. me off, man. No, I agree. Uh, and I understand the frustration. And I guess I'll end with this on my side. I, I remain optimistic that it's not dead forever. I think there'll be a time and a place where both schools will be able to come back and explore the idea. I'm with you. I also found Gundy's like presentation with the notes on the sheet 
after practice. Did you see that video? No, I didn't. You, it's hilarious. Check it out. <laughs> okay. It's just like, he's like looking around like any objections? No. Okay. Next point. It's, it's hilarious. He, he's a showman, man. It's funny. All right. Let's get to my winner and loser for my winner of the week. Thought about going with Jalen hurts, man. That man balled on Monday night football. Yes, Whoa. he did. 26 to 31, three thirty-three touchdown interception, 57 rushing yards and two TDs on the ground. Also, he was being compared to Kirk cousins, which made it look like he played even better, right? Primetime Kirk, not great. A couple oh. of horrible interceptions for cousins in that one, but Eagles look good. We've talked about them being able to make some noise in the NFC and mm, it looks like they could be, they could be a team that could, yeah. could really shake things up there. I, I like the, I like what I've seen from Jalen. He's, He's exceeded my expectations in the NFL. I thought he was, you know, possibly going to be a little bit limited with some of the the passing game and stuff. I think you and I really both thought he was going to be like a career backup. Yeah. Be a really good backup quarterback. Uh, start a lot of games, you know, start quite a few games. But, man, if he continues playing like this, whoa. Yeah, agree. I also thought about going with high school kids that want to go straight to the NBA because Shams reported that the NBA could eliminate the one-and-done rule as early as 2024. We're going to have 18-year-olds back in the NBA, Ted. Yeah, I'm interested in this. What does that mean for, like, if they eliminate the one-and-done rule, is is there going to be anything else for college, or is it just going to stay that you can go whenever you want? Yeah, I think it'll... Are, are you saying, like, is it going to turn into baseball, right, like, where you got to like stay three years? Yeah. I, I don't think so. But I do think the cool thing about this is, right, there there's going to be – I think there will be a very select few that just jump straight to the NBA. But now these really, really talented basketball players in high school, they, they've got options, right? They can, they can go overseas. They can play in the G League. Uh, they can go straight to the NBA now, or they can go to college, which – you know, you've got loose transfer rules and you've got NIL. So, I mean, there's some, there's some really good options. Like if you're an elite basketball player as a high school player, there's some really good options for you now. Yeah. I, you know, I've never had a problem with it. Um, the one and done in college seems like a, seems like a farce to begin with because it's not even, it's not even a one and done. It's like, there's no, you just, they don't even give a rip at all about the school. Right. So it's just like, you're being forced to be there and do something that you don't want to do that. You're clearly not going to finish up. And it just, it just becomes, I don't know. I, I'm a fan of this. I do hope though, that it ends up like maybe some of the guys that you never, you knew were never going to play more than one year in college, maybe now that those guys leave, that there becomes guys staying longer at their schools, but maybe not. I don't know, but um, I, I like whenever there's good senior, junior and senior-led teams with good talent on them. Those typically make the some of the best squads. Yeah, but my winner of the week, Jalen Petrie. You remember him. We had a massive football crush on him at Baylor. Uh, 
absolute stud. And in fact, he's got 15 tackles in his first two games for the Houston Texans. But Ted, this story may, may make you like him even more. I'm not sure. It may or may not. But just like you, he was an early first or early second round pick, right? So Jalen Petrie got drafted in the second round by the Texans, signed an $8.9 million contract with the $3.6 million signing bonus. So he rich, good for him. You want to take a guess at where he is currently living? In a beautiful high-rise condo, downtown Houston. Incorrect. Huh. Jalen Petrie's parents live approximately 20 minutes from NRG Stadium, where the Texans play, and he is currently living with his parents in his childhood bedroom. Oh, And I I guess, so this is what happened from the story I read on ESPN. I guess he asked his mom to help him look for houses. So she's, you know, doing her thing. You know, I don't know if it's Zillow or Redfin or whatever people use. And she found some stuff. She relayed to him what the monthly costs could be. And it sent, maybe he was going to rent. And, you know, it was like, the cheapest one was like 10 grand a month. And he was like, uh, no, I'm good. I'm just going to stay with you guys. So he's living with his parents. It's hilarious. Like just, and he's, you know, he's going to bed early. He's bringing his own food from the facility. So he's eating good. You know, he's not eating a bunch of unhealthy stuff. He's like, I can't, I can't be eating what my parents make for me. You know, I'll be, I'll get a little, little too hefty. So he's just, Casually living at home with his parents, starting NFL games. That during the season, that sounds amazing. Like the greatest thing ever during the off season. Maybe not as much, but in season, I cannot. Ah, that would be so awesome. Now, I just disagree with him on the food thing. I coming home after a long day of practice pulling up, walking inside, mom's got dinner ready. Ah, oh, that's just like the greatest thing ever. Ah, oh, I would have loved that. And it's good that he's saving on rent because I was digging into this story a little more. Uh, knocked the hell out of Pierce from the Colts. Got a $9,000 fine for unnecessary roughness for that hit. So, hey, he's he's saving money, but now he's he's donating some to the league, paying those fines. Hopefully it gets not, reduced for our guy. Not a shock though, because uh, like he is an animal and he plays physical and fast. He, he that kid's going to be an absolute stud. And I think this like that's just so smart. Instead of there's such a rush to try and do the like to try and live the life of what you've seen superstars live before, right? And throw away a ton of money trying to trying to get there for for whatever reason, just to try and showcase some wealth and staying at parents' house, saving money, brilliant. And even both of his parents in the article, they're like, yeah, he's a little cheap, you know? <laughs> it's like, it was great. I was like, hey, good for him. You think the, uh, he's had the, the sit-down with Pops is like, all right, you're going to have to pull your weight around here. All right, you're going to have to pay some of the bills. We need you to take out the trash. It's not that- a free ride. That was in the article he has tried. His parents have refused to let him pay for anything. Nice. 
which is his dad's a UPS driver, like grinding all day. So it's just, it's a cool story, man. Very all right, cool. For my loser of the week, thought about going with Herm Edwards. Yikes. Now, he didn't get fired walking off the field. Like some people thought the guy who took that video actually said, Hey, no, that's not what happened. And I guess it was, it was a mutual thing between Arizona state and Herm Edwards. But I feel like the goal for a head coach is always to leave the program better than you found it. Herm Edwards did not do that with Arizona state. They've got the looming NCAA investigation. They've got no players. Their coaches all left. Like it's been, been a disaster. Uh, I, I agree, and there's a ton of uncertainty hanging over the the head of Arizona State. It's going to be fascinating to see who will take that that job whenever you don't even know what conference you're going to be in, what's going to happen to the Pac-12. Like, there's it's a weird weird situation for that university right now. Yeah, it's it's not good. And it's going to be interesting to see who takes that job. Alex Grinch's name floating out there wouldn't suck. Yeah. Be- be pretty great for a couple of our best friends. Yeah, I I think that that is I think that's a good opportunity. I I do. I think it's I mean there you have access to some good stuff there. Um you know, you should be able to recruit. I know Phoenix isn't just a super hotbed of talent, but you know, there's some good there's some good aspects of that school that can help you get some talent in there. Yeah. I also thought about going with Justin Fields. Bears got smacked by the Packers per usual. I mean, Aaron Rodgers owns them, right? And he's let them know that's still such a great video. I own you, but <laughs> Justin Fields, he, he made the mistake, right? Quote, losing hurts more in the locker room than for Bears fans, because at the end of the day, they're not putting in any oh. work. Oh boy. I, while it may be true, right? NFL players, college players, like they put in incredible amounts of work to try and go win games. Saying you care more than fans is never the road to go down. It is, it's never going to work out well, ever, 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 ever. And especially after you just got whooped by a divisional rival, just a, a, a bad mistake from the young QB for the Bears. You don't say that. You just don't. No, and I don't. It's that's going to be very difficult to recover from. Not especially good. without winning a whole bunch of football games. You know. Um, yeah, that's typically uh, that's that's typically a sign of things to come. Whenever that statement comes out, I mean, I get it. Yeah, you know, I, he's probably getting tons of of hate there in the media and from fans walking on and off the field. I get that, but this just made it way worse. Yeah. Especially fans work their asses off to be able to pay for tickets to it's go and just, watch you play. It's not just to show up if you want to situation in the NFL. Yeah. yeah that is uh that was a big mistake. And also, like one of the most popular things going around social media right now is this boyfriend and girlfriend. Like the guy is sitting there like looking at the TV. He's got like a bear's letter jacket, a beanie on. He's got a Justin Fields Jersey on underneath. She comes around. He's watching the end of the Packers game. He comes around and he's like crying. 
and it's it's a hilarious i don't know if it was staged or not i don't think it was it i cho- i'm gonna choose to believe it wasn't but he's like they cheated and all this stuff and she's like why are you crying and there's this moment he goes he goes i've been with you for two months they've been my team for 22 years <laughs> it's it's so good dude oh, oh it's so brilliant. good that's but, but my loser of the week and i don't think there's many of these people out there but i saw a few people that are like oh the eli manning thing it wasn't that funny okay if you don't think the chad powers walk on tryout at penn state bit if you don't think that was hilarious the the problem is you because ted i laughed my ass off I watched so I watched it yesterday while I was doing my radio show. So I I just watched the video. I didn't get to like hear all of the dialogue and know like the whole background of it. So who all knew about it? Did it looked like Franklin knew about yeah, it? Yeah, so Franklin knew, but like it from what I could tell, like the GAs and like the younger coaches had no idea. And the dialogue is probably the best part. And if you haven't seen it, just search Chad powers on the internet and you'll, you'll find it. But Eli Manning, he goes undercover to a walk-on tryout at Penn state. And uh, I mean, the, some of the, the dialogue's the best part. Like he's running his 40 and out loud. He's going think fast, run fast, think fast, run fast. It's just, it's so, and he runs like a five, four, nine, which is amazing. They, I, you know, it's funny. He's he's getting hammered about that 40. It's probably one of the best 40s ever run, right? Or uh, just right on par with it. It may be the only 40 he's run since, like, his freshman year in college. Right. But there's one part. He said, like, how he's never played on a team before because he was homeschooled. And he was <laughs> like, my mom was my coach and my teacher. And the guy's like, did you get good grades? He's like, no. She wasn't very smart. Just a good coach though. Like there's, there's some <laughs> things in there that are just the the dialogue slayer. Eli Manning's funny, man. He is. I mean, he's he like is. he's funny in his own way, but maybe the best line. He's like, hell, Brady can play till he's forty four. Chad can play till he's twenty six. <laughs> so good. The uh, the disguise is equal parts ridiculous and believable at the same time. It's pretty funny. They pulled it off. It's good. They definitely pulled it off. And, and there's like a longer version of the video. It's like 15 minutes or so. It's it's so good, man. But to anyone that didn't think that that was that funny, I can't help you because it was hilarious. <laughs> and he can still throw the football. <laughs> he said, not just good looking. I can throw it, baby. So I saw, good. I heard one of them. He's like, uh, that leave a dent in your chest. <laughs> <laughs> right in the chest. Oh, uh, on that note, episode 251 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from three to six on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from two to five on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. Enjoy the game. And until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.